0: The Lord be with you. you. Brothers and sisters, today we proclaim the good news that God is not a disinterested deity that we make deals with to get what we want. God is a loving community we're invited into, an eternal life that saves us and transforms us as we participate in it. That's the good news we're proclaiming today. Uh, I have a friend who has a friend, so a friend of a friend. Make sense? You still with me? Are we still tracking? I think the mic might be a little hot. Do you guys agree? It feels hot to me. All right. I don't want to overwhelm you. I might get excited. I might get a little louder. Anyway, okay, so I've got a friend of a friend. Uh, his name's Jacob, and he was working at a church recently. He was an associate pastor, about a 200-person church. Uh, the senior pastor of this church was really trying to make it grow and kind of get to the next phase, and they had all of these strategic initiatives that were, they were attempting to, to do to, to get to the next phase of growth and all of this kind of stuff. And Jacob, a uh, friend of a friend, was tasked with uh, one of the things he was supposed to be doing was overseeing the pastoral care for the whole church. You know, 200 people. That, you know, there's a lot of need, You know, sometimes I feel overwhelmed by pastoral care in our small church. You know, so I can understand. You know, Jacob uh, feeling overwhelmed by this responsibility, pastoral care for the whole church. He and his wife Tiffany had four kids under the age of eight as well. So they've got a busy home life, um, and they had taken on this burden sort of dutifully, like they felt like they were supposed to. Okay, well, we'll we'll take care of the church and we'll do pastoral care and we'll we'll try to, you know care for people. We'll try to take on this burden. Um, but they were slowly starting to burn out. The cracks were starting to show. Uh, they didn't get enough time with their kids. Their kids were beginning to sort of act out at school. Uh, Jacob was very, very tired. He was trying to do his best to care for these people, help the church grow, be part of the senior pastor's vision, and you know all this, all this kind of stuff. And his wife was very much a part of it. During, the, during this whole process, his wife, Tiffany, has kind of a minor nervous breakdown. Um, because of all the stress and the pressure and that kind of thing. And she goes to counseling for the first time. And uh, she starts to learn all of these things, you know, about herself. And she learns the word codependent. She's like, oh, I, I see what it means to be codependent. I'm codependent. Like that, you know, I'm, I get my sense of identity from other people needing fam- something from me. And so I can't say no. I can't say no because, you know, and so she's learning all these things. That are, she's trying to become healthy. And, and Jacob and realizes, wow, this is... I'm kind of codependent too. I need to start learning to say no and set boundaries. And, and, and we need to establish something for our family that's, that's healthier than this. And so uh, Jacob goes to his senior pastor and he says, hey, you know, we're, like, we're learning a lot about uh, healthy boundaries. We're learning a lot about what we need as a family. And um, starting to realize these things and set these better boundaries. And he, and he says, hey, I need for Jacob, for his family was that this relationship they had with this church, I mean, yeah, they were pastor at the church, and there's a sense of, you know, you working for the church, there's this calling, that kind of a thing. But the relationship they had with this church was all inherently transactional. It wasn't covenantal. It was transactional. It was, it was a mutual using of one another. The congregation was saying, hey, we'll pay you a salary, we'll give you a living, as long as you can provide, you know, kind of what we need you to provide for this church. And as soon as uh, Jacob and Tiffany, as soon as they started to realize, like, oh, we need a different rhythm of life here, it was just, there was no discernment. There was just like, we're cut off. You're done. You're done because you can't hack it. Uh, it's unfortunately an all too common story uh, in our day that this way of relating to each other has kind of crept into the church. Um, and it's, it's a way of relating that we're, that we're very familiar with. Um, in our everyday interactions, I remember uh, this this past year, I had to uh, get on the phone uh, several hours with our insurance company, health insurance company, over and over and over because every time we'd submit a request, say, "Hey, we went to the doctor, and you know, there's a de- we had a deal, right? We have a deal with this company where we go to the doctor, and it costs us twenty bucks. That was our deal, um, you know." And that was supposed to be the deal. And we'd, we'd go to the doctor and we'd get this notice in the mail uh, that almost every time, seriously, almost every time where the, where the note in the mail said, hey, this isn't covered under your plan. And we're like, yes, it is. Like, it's just a doctor visit. They're in the network. And so I had to call several times, you know, talk to somebody on the phone who I knew more about the plan than they did, right? Like, I was like, no, no, no. If you look at, you know, here, you know, it's like, I don't think they're in network. They are in network, you know? And so... But, but what is that kind of relationship is what I'm trying to say. is a transactional relationship where I couldn't trust the insurance company to have my back, to do what's best for me and my family. I had to defend my family, I had to use the contract as leverage, right? No, you said you'd pay, I've been paying my premiums, you have to pay the doctor bills. That's how this works, right? And I had to kind of fight for that. And I think we're used to those kinds of relationships, right? We're used to those kinds of relationships, and that's unfortunately kind of the default way that we relate to one another in the church, oftentimes. It's the default way that a lot of you know, church organizations are set up so that people like Jacob and Tiffany just get fired rather than we discern something together, right? So we learn how to use each other like this, um, and I think we oftentimes look at God the same way just because we're surrounded in this way, this transactional way of being, where we end up looking at God As somebody we have to kind of make a deal with, somebody who's not really interested in our flourishing, doesn't really have our best interest at heart, but he's powerful and he's got some stuff that we need. And so if we could kind of make a deal with him, maybe he'll give us the things that we need, which is essentially paganism, right? I mean... That's, the, that's a pagan way of dealing with God. It's like, there's these powerful gods out there, and we have to figure out how to manipulate them to get the kind of stuff that we need from them. And unfortunately, so many of us have this default understanding of the God of Jesus Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as this same kind of God. Um, and so we try to, we try to make a... We, even the way we talk about salvation ends up being a deal that we made with God, Right? Like, in some forms of atonement, uh, like, God is actually super ticked and would love nothing more than to smite all of us. But Jesus did this thing, and now he has to pull his punches. And we sort of get in on the heaven thing, uh, because Jesus did this thing, and then we get the barcode, and then, you know, we're we're like, well, like, hey, we got into heaven, you know, sorry. Like, you know, but, but... that's kind of, I mean, that's some of the, it's, it's a caricature, I know. But honestly, that's some of the ways that we think about who God is. That God actually wants to smite us, but Jesus won't let him, right? And so we end up kind of making deals with God. We think of salvation as a deal we made with God. I know for me, one of my temptations is to make deals with God when it comes to my provision. That I see these promises in Scripture. And I'm like, well, Lord we made a deal. Like, you need to hold up your end of the bargain, right? You need to hold up your end of the deal. Now, there's a way of praying that relies on those promises, but you see what I'm saying? That the posture that we have towards God is oftentimes this posture of we look at him as somebody that we're doing a deal with, that there's a transaction that's taking place, and that's really all we need from God. But today, and we transfer this, I should say this too, we transfer this into our church relationships too, We're all a little bit afraid that the leaders are going to take advantage of us. As leaders, we're all a little bit afraid that everybody's just here as a consumer. They just want what they can get out of it, right? And we end up kind of looking at each other with squinty eyes sometimes, right? What are you really up to, you know? Hmm. We end up doing that. But today, uh, brothers and sisters, we proclaim this good news. God is not a disinterested deity we make deals with to get what we want. God is a loving community we're invited into, an eternal life that saves us and transforms us as we participate in it. So we've come through, this is Trinity Sunday, as Matt said earlier, we've come through this whole story of Jesus from Advent, Christmas, the Incarnation, to Epiphany, Lent, preparation for Holy Week, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus into heaven, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit last week, Pentecost, uh, and here we are in Trinity Sunday. This is the first Sunday of what they call ordinary time, and we're going to be in ordinary time from now uh, all the way through to when Advent begins again. So it's about half the Christian year is just ordinary time, um, which just means ordered time. Which just means that Sunday after Sunday, we're just going to be gathering together to hear good news, come to the table, and grow as, uh, as a community. Um, and, and Trinity Sunday is, is here in the Christian year because it proclaims this revelation very clearly. What, it's the fullness of the revelation of God that has come in Christ, that this slowly began to dawn on the church over the years where they're like, oh, wow, this is an an incredible mystery that we've been invited into. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God uh, relating to one another, these three persons in love and inviting us into that relationship to find our true home in God, in that relationship, in the love that the Father has to the Son and the Son for the Father, that that's what the invitation is. Um, And unfortunately, the Trinity is, is oftentimes talked about as this abstract math problem. Right, that we have to sort of figure out, and we have to say it right. You know, otherwise the the, the theology police will be after us. And there is an important thing about you know you know uh, confessing the faith. Um, but oftentimes we think of it as this bit of esoteric knowledge that you know might be fun to pull out at parties. Like, hey, did you know God is three persons, <laughs> but one essence? You know, like like you, we kind of pull it out at parties, uh, and it's this esoteric knowledge. But but Trinity Sunday is not like that. Trinity uh, the Trinity isn't like that. Um, Trinity is Trinity Sunday is sort of like man, you, you all the events of Pentecost, which were wild and crazy, and you know tongues of fire and all these people coming into the church, and it's almost like you wake up the next morning and you dust yourself off and you're like, what just happened? And you start to look around at your new surroundings and you're like, everything's changed, the whole world has changed. Where is it that we now live? Trinity, that's where we live. That's where we live. The Trinity is not an abstract math problem. It's where we live. It's our new address. It's our new home. This is where we live now. We live in the Trinity, which is why Matt said that, that little space for the mirror. It's actually that little, that little uh, box, that little square. You see it under there? That's where they, they presume or some people, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Speculate, thank you. They speculate that there was a mirror there, and so that was part of the contemplation. It wasn't just this abstract, uh, holy thing that was out there, but it was this is my home. This is where I live. God's invited me into his presence I and him, and him and me. So God is not a disinterested deity we make deals with to get what we want. God's a loving community we're invited into, an eternal life that saves us and transforms us as we participate in it. And so the passages we read today speak of this, John's gospel uh, passage, um, where Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus and he says, you must be born again, famous passage, we all kind of know what that the, the same Greek word for born again is born from above. And Jesus goes on to illustrate that. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And so what you're, the kingdom of God isn't about um, getting all your theology ducks in a row. The kingdom of God is about being born into a new life a new life that we have with God, being born from above. I talked a couple weeks ago about um, Dallas Willard's illustration of a new kind of life um, coming upon us, right, where there's a a cabbage is a certain kind of life. You guys can go back and listen to it. I won't explain it all. But a cabbage is a certain kind of life. A kitten is another kind of life, alive to the world of play. Uh, A human is another kind of life, alive to the world of math, philosophy. But a Christian is another kind of life. We're alive to the trinity. We're alive to the world of God. It's a new kind of life. It's a, it's a, it's a new thing that has come uh, upon us and come upon the earth. And uh, the gospel passage uh, confesses this, that everyone who believes, everyone who trusts, may have eternal life in him. And so being born again, believing and getting this eternal life, it isn't an insurance policy for something later, right? It's not like my health insurance policy, which I have in, my, you know, in the drawer, and i got to pull it out when I have a problem, Right? No, I need to get my, my medical bills paid, and so I pull it out when I get a problem. No, that's not, what the, that's not what this is about. That's not what being born again is all about. That's not what eternal life is all about. Eternal life is something we participate in now, together, as a community. That's eternal life. And eternal life, in, in John's letters, it's, uh, it, Jesus is the eternal life. And so the eternal life we receive is not a product we get from God. It's the life of God himself being offered to us, ex- extending toward us, and we get to participate in it. This is what the early church knew. This is what the early church believed. Eventually they had to sort of sort out their language about, okay, well, what's, tech, what's really going on here in the Trinity? But they only had to do that because there were people who were starting to proclaim some heretical stuff. It's actually Trinity Sunday is, is the Sunday that pastors are most likely to preach heresy right? If if you try to explain the Trinity too much, you end up in muddy waters, right? So I'm trying to withhold and just kind of proclaim what the early church proclaimed, which was that this is our new home, that God's invited us to participate in his life. And we don't know how that all works. We don't know how that all works, but we participate in it. That's That's what they were all about. And so trusting Jesus gives us eternal life, And that's not an exchange, that's just a a relational thing. For me to trust my wife is to have a life with her. I can't have a life with her if I don't trust her. And as we trust Jesus, not just for salvation, not just at a moment of conversion, as we trust him every day, this is what we work on in our DNA groups, our kairoses, as we bring those things to the Lord and we take little steps of trust to say, I trust you today, Jesus, with with my kids, I trust you today with my relationship with my spouse. I trust you today with this hard situation at work, and here's how I'm walking that out. We walk into eternal life in those situations. That's how it works. That's eternal life. God is not a distant deity with whom we have contracts and transactions. He's not a, guy, he's not a deity that we make deals with to get what we want. God's a loving community we're invited into, an eternal life that saves us and transforms us as we participate in it. Isaiah and Romans uh, say the same thing. Uh, I'm struck by Isaiah, uh, where he does not—he has an encounter with the Lord, right? He doesn't get information about the Lord, right? And he doesn't say, "In the year that King Uzziah died, I received from some very interesting information about the Lord." It changed my life. No, I saw the Lord. It was an encounter. It wasn't information about something. It was an encounter with the Lord. I saw the Lord and suddenly he becomes aware. I'm not right. I'm a a person of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And what does God do? He comes and meets him in his area of need. He says, okay, I'll cleanse you. I'll do what it takes for us to be together, for you to participate with me in my life. And then as Isaiah comes in, what does he say? Who's going to go for us? Part of divine life. These aren't the, the Trinity's. Not uh, three guys hanging out, like you know, like drinking beers. They're not just hanging out, yeah. right? They're on. They're, they have a mission. There's something that they're doing, right? They're extending their life into the world, and so they say, uh, "Who will go for us?" And Isaiah, sa- Isaiah says, I, "I'm part of this now. Send me." Part of our participation in the divine life is being sent out on mission. That's part of it. We have, an, we have a transformative encounter with the Lord. That's what, every Sunday is this for us. That's what, we, that's what we believe. That's what we trust. Every Sunday we hear the word of the Lord. We encounter his presence together at the table. We believe in the real presence of Jesus at this table. This isn't like a, a nice way to remember something, some information that we have about God. This is a way of encountering Jesus at the table. And he transforms us and he sends us out on mission. And in Romans, Paul says the same thing. Those who are led by the, the Spirit of God are the children of God. We've been adopted. We're children. We're heirs with Christ. There's a participation in his life that includes suffering as well as glory. That's an inherent part of it for us. That's one of the things. I think it's one of the hardest parts about trusting the Lord and participating with him is that we, we oftentimes enter into sacrifice and suffering. Intentionally, because this is how we participate. But we trust that the life that we receive, the life that we're living into, the glory of that exceeds the suffering that we feel as we walk into it. Every time we have to trust Jesus with something that we haven't trusted Him with yet, it's a, it's a form of suffering. We're having, we're having to let go of these, these idols, these things that we've held on to that we think are going to give us the security, the significance, the belonging that we need. And there's a suffering as we let them go and say, okay, Lord, I I trust you're going to give me these things. I trust that you've already given them to me in the good news of the gospel. That's participation. That's the divine life. This is the Trinity. This is what we're invited into. God is not a disinterested deity we make deals with to get what we want. God is a loving community we're invited into. An eternal life that saves us and transforms us as we participate in it. Salvation is not a contract that we sign with a reluctant God. It's a life we share with God that he abundantly pours out upon us and gives to us. It's a life we share with God. Marriage is a great illustration of this. Imagine if when I proposed to Deb, I said something like, I got down on one knee and I said, Deb, I want to get married. Okay, uh, honey, I wanna, spend, I wanna spend the rest of my life trying to comprehend you. You know, like, you know, it's like, oh, wait, that's weird, right? That's weird. I, that's not what a marriage is. A marriage isn't trying to comprehend each other. Like, if you could just write down a bunch of stuff about yourself and I'll just study it, I will <laughs> look that over in the mornings, I'll memorize a lot of it. <laughs> I'm going to to know how to explain Deb to everybody I meet. No, that's not what marriage is. Marriage is a life that we share together. That's essentially what it is. It's like saying, hey, we've got these two lives. Why don't we live one life together? That's what God invites us into. That is salvation. That's the Trinity. He says, I have this life. You, You have another kind of life, but I'm inviting you into mine. All that is mine is yours. All that is yours is mine. This is the covenant that I'm making with you. And this is the life that we have as Christians. And it's a, it's a real thing of substance. The incarnation wasn't just an event that happened a long time ago and now is like, well, glad we got that over with, right? It extends. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit is, in a way, an extension of the incarnation into the body of Christ, into the life of the people. And so the historic body of Christ, his human body that was offered on the cross as a sacrifice for the life of the world, becomes now in the church the sacramental body and blood of Christ that we receive when we come to communion, that then as we participate in that in faith... We become the body of Christ for the life of the world as we lay down our lives, participating in this life that God has given. There's an extension. God is at work in the world, and He's at work through His church. That's why we take communion every Sunday. The presence of Christ is here. We become the body as we participate, and then we're sent out to be His body. And this is uh, this is vital in light of school shootings for example, that happened on Friday, not too far from here. This is a vital thing. It's not a luxury. The body of Christ, the church, uh, what God is doing in the world is not sort of a nice-to-have. A school shooting so close to home shocks us awake, doesn't it? Oh, wow, this is a thing I read in the news, but now I know people who are affected by this. All is not well in our safe Midwestern city right? There are forces at work. And the question comes, what can we do? What do we do? And there's a lot of argument about what to do about all of this, right? There's a lot of strong opinions, a lot of strong feelings. I want to suggest that one of the best things that we can do, not the only thing, but one of the best things we can do is be the body of Christ, to be the church. The world around us that is set up on money, sex, and power is collapsing in on itself. And people are looking for a solid place to stand. The life that God offers us in the church is the solid place to stand. And so, one of the things we can do about it is to be the body of Christ for one another. Come together, learn to pray, learn to worship, learn to forgive one another as Christ forgave us, learn to sacrifice for one another, learn to be on mission together. It's crucial because the world is collapsing in on itself. And this is our project here at the table. We want to be a community that's all at home in the Trinity we're, we're, we, and drawing others into that love. That's our project, that's the thing. That's what we're doing. We're not trying to create a brand for people to identify with. We're not trying to create a convenient uniformity that kind of, you know, over against another that sort of makes it easy for us to gather a big crowd. We're not trying to entertain you as customers who come to shows. We're trying to cultivate a community at home in the Trinity. Because the world needs this. We need this. Life is to be found nowhere else. And so we want to become this kind of community, a formative encounter, a community that can embody and extend Christ's presence into the world. Matt talked about the table 101, like our summer orientation to who we want to be as a church. Come. We'd love to have you. We're going to record them too. So if you can only make a few, we will make the recordings available. But come. Come and be part of this with us. As we learn to pray together, worship together, discern God's presence together, practice hospitality and mission together, live an actual life together, participating with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in a community of love. God is not a disinterested deity that we make deals with to get what we want. God is a community of love that we're invited into, an eternal life that saves us and transforms us as we participate in it. Amen? let's stand together. Where we're going to respond to this today, um, first of all, is we're going to confess our faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed, which you have in your booklet, so you can find your way there. After that, we're going to pray together, um, and I want you to be thinking about where is it for you that you're tempted to deal with God as a disinterested deity? Because this does something for us, right? It allows us to keep our autonomy. It allows us to sort of Maintain some sense of control. But where is it for you that you are most tempted to deal with God as somebody who's far away, as somebody who's disinterested in, in your life, as somebody you have to make deals with? Maybe it's, I said it earlier, for me, it's like in the area of provision. I end up trying to make deals with God and instead of just praying, Lord, give me today my daily bread, I trust you. Where is it for you? Do you, you try to, God, I'm going to be the best parent I can be. And that way, that way my kids will turn out okay. It's a deal we try to make with God. Where is it for you? Be thinking about that. We're going to pray together. But let's confess our faith first in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. And now let's pray together. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a booklet, uh, there's a phrase in your booklet. Uh, that I invite you to just speak out, uh, speak out loud as you feel as you feel led to pray. Blessed Trinity, thank you for in- inviting us into your life. Help me to trust your loving presence in my blank, and then end with Lord in your mercy, and we'll all respond. Hear our prayer.